Oh, man, I want to pray for y'all. We prayed for the people going on the trip. We have a missions team going to our team. Of, yeah, we have a group of ladies. Yeah, but I'm, you're killing me here. Let's go. Okay, come on. We're going to go. We're going to pray for the, we're going to pray for the women going on a missions trip to Brazil. Oh, come on. We can do better than that. We're going to pray over the ladies going on a missions trip to Brazil. So going down there to pray, we're going to believe God. We're going to release Daphne and Sherry are going to get a double portion because we prayed this, we prayed this morning. Come on over here. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. So, so all right. So put your arms around each other. Which way? Any way you want. I don't know. There's, I, more of us, there's more of you, but that's all right. But they're not all here. All right. So we're going to pray. So y'all just extend your hands, extend your hands here. Uh, where are you going in Brazil? Do you know? Wherever they said, Bella something, right? Yes. So we're believing God, beautiful horizons. We're believing God for just a transformative experience and that God's going to use them greatly and that the Lord's going to release wisdom and counsel and that there's going to be a clear flight back, a clear flight there, a clear flight home, and that while they're there, they're going down there and they're going to be part of a ministry team. So they're going to be actually praying and they're going to be involved in ministry. So when we go on missions trips here at Elevate, we don't go and build benches. We go and lay hands on people. We go and bring kingdom. This is what it's all about. And this is where they're going. And they're going down there with, another, with a couple other groups. And it's going to be really, really good. So let's just pray over them. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just release your anointing. Father, your spirit of wisdom, your spirit of counsel, your spirit of clarity. Lord, that you would guide them in every way. Lord, that they would be united as a team. And God, it's just a lot of joy. A lot of joy, God. A lot of friendship, a lot of fellowship, joy, Lord. And that's miracles, signs, and wonders, Lord. That they would be seen and that they would experience it. And Lord, that they would be impacted by the impartation and the power that moves through their lives in your name. And that people's lives in Brazil would be changed, Lord. That blind eyes would see and lame would walk, Father. And there would be great and mighty miracles, Lord Jesus. Above and beyond all that can be or expected and we give you the glory for that and that the lives of these women would be forever changed and they would be impacted Lord as they pass through this door and they pass through this opportunity Lord and they would be transformed never the same Lord never the same and so we give you the glory for that and you already have divine appointments and you already have everything set up and so we thank you for that and we bless you in Jesus name amen amen Sherry led a team there last year a couple of years ago pre-covid and it was like crazy miracles crazy miracles, which we don't have time to talk about. But we do have time to talk about Jesus, don't we? Say with me, Jesus has something for me today. He's got something for you today. I want to welcome our live stream audience. So grateful to have you. Had a woman here in first service. She was in town. She lives three hours away. And she said one of the things that she wanted to do was come to the church, so, which is awesome, right? It's like we've been watching you online, and she's like, you know, and when I had to come down to Miami, she said, I'm going to that church, so come on. We're doing the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 4, and so there's a, just a 45-verse chapter, so by gospel standards, this is a very long chapter, and so we break it up into parts because, we, you know, this is the way it goes. And so in this chapter, so John is an epic book. If you're going to start with any book of the Bible, start with John. It's a common statement, but it's very powerful. It's written to the whosoever, and there's a lot of wonderful things. And John, so there's epic chapters in the Bible, and John is filled with epic chapters. John chapter 1, epic. John chapter 3, epic. John chapter 4, epic. John 14, 15, and 16, epic. 
epic. And I'm probably missing it. John 10, epic. There's a, there just a lot of epic chapters. And John writes a lot of them. It's the last gospel written, and it's written to the whosoevers. So this, this is what they call the universal gospel. And what's happening here is Jesus has met with, a, he's just met with a woman at the well. He was coming back from Jerusalem and the spirit led him. So I want you to know this about Jesus. I'm gonna fire hose you a little bit because I'm gonna try to make up time, but I wanna I want try to build as much background as, as possible. Anytime you're doing a narrative text like this, you gotta put the background together so that you can connect people to, the, to what's being done. And so I want you to understand the background that's going on here. Jesus was leaving Jerusalem and as he left Jerusalem, he had to go through Samaria, the Bible says. He went through Samaria because the Holy Spirit led him there. And people say, well, wasn't Jesus God? Yes, but you have to understand something about the Lord. He came, submitted himself as a servant, this is in Philippians, and took on the form, he took on the form of the servant and he allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him. Why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus is the divine prototype of the new creation. Jesus is modeling for us how to follow the Spirit. There's a lot to this, but nonetheless, the Lord yielded and the whole, he said he had to go through Samaria. So it looks something like this. He heard the Lord and he's like, I gotta go through Samaria. And so or the Lord said, the Holy Spirit told him that and, and he went through Samaria and he goes and he sits down on a well. He gets to Samaria and the Holy Spirit goes sit on the well and he waits on the well and then he lets the woman come up to him and that becomes his assignment. You say, well, if Jesus is God, why would he do that? And you see this all through scripture. The son of man does nothing unless he's told. The son of man does nothing unless, or says nothing unless he hears it. And people say, well, that doesn't mean Jesus is God. No, you don't understand. Jesus is God, but he set aside, he did not access his deity. He was always God, he was always man, but he set back his attributes and he allowed the Holy Spirit to be the influence upon his life. He had to become as us in order to die for us so that we could come back to him and become like him. You understand that? And so Jesus had to become and had to walk as man, as Adam, the last Adam. He had to do that in order to fulfill this. And so in this storyline, Jesus said, greater things than these you will do because I go to my father. Did he not say that? I got one person. Did he not say that? Right? And he says, as I am, so are you in this world. So you see this transition. Jesus became as us that we might become like him. We have access to the Holy Spirit. And so a lot of this stuff, and it will blow right over your head if you don't get it, and that's fine. It blows over a lot of people's heads. But nonetheless, Jesus is modeling for us in this story how to follow the Spirit. And he goes there and he does these things. And the Lord gives him divine assignments and divine appointments that the Holy Spirit does. He's still God. And so he's just finished this conversation with the woman. And I'm going to pick it up here in this chapter. And I'm going to try to pull you back into the story a little bit. And it says, at this point, at the point where the conversation with this woman is ending, the disciples come up and they're shocked. They're shocked because Jesus is talking to a woman. And he says, what? And then no, yet no one asks, what do you seek? And why in the world are you talking to her? And at this point, the, whole, the Bible says that the, the woman left her water pot and went into the city. Say it with me. She went into the city. Come on. She went into the city. There you go. All right. And he said, and, and so when she goes into the city, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Rabbi, eat. And he says to them, I have food to eat that you don't know of. And the disciples were looking at one another saying, who brought him something to eat? You know, I don't see a Chipotle around here, right? Carmen didn't bring the pastelito, so I don't, I don't know who, who gave him something to eat here. And so they, they didn't understand what he was talking about. And Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish the work. 
Do not say there are four months till harvest, and then comes the harvest. Behold, or pay attention, or wake up to this. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look. The fields are ready for harvest, and they are white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages. Say it with me, receives wages. And say this, gathers fruit for eternal life. The one who sows and he who reaps are blessed together. For in this saying, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to work for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into an ongoing work. And at this time, many of the Samaritans from the city came to him because of the woman that she, that what the woman said. And then they asked Jesus to stay with them for a few days, and he does. And then they said, we now, after Jesus stays with them for a few days and has a conversation, they say, now we believe because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard you, and we know now that this indeed, this indeed is the Christ. Say it with me. The Christ, the, Christ. the Savior of the world. Jesus meets a woman at the well in Samaria. This woman is a very, she's an outcast. She's an outcast first because she was a Samaritan. Samaritans were half Jews and half Assyrian. So they were sort of like mutts. They were interbred. To a Jew, that is the worst thing you could do was, was be intermarried, especially to a pagan culture. So she was a Samaritan, considered an outsider from the Jewish faith. She was an outsider among her own people. So this woman was shunned in every way. So there's a story here. When everybody shuns you, Jesus is looking for you. Amen. Come on. Let's just say that again. When everybody shuns you, <laughs> Jesus is looking for you. Amen. That's right. Nobody like Jesus. And so she's, she's there and she's an outcast. Why is she an outcast? Well, this woman has lived a very riotous life. And so Jesus is actually sitting at a well in Shechem, which is Jacob's well. So Jesus is a prophet. How many knows he's prophet, priest, and kings? Anybody with me? Right? He's a prophet, priest, and king. So he's prophetically sitting on Jacob's well in Shechem. Why Jacob's well? Well, Jacob was a man in the scripture who did it his way. I think he wrote the song for Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. I think it was like a long time ago. And Frank Sinatra was like, who wrote this? Jacob Rowling. Then he made it his own. Jacob did it his way. God was always communicating with Jacob. And Jacob always made decisions that suited himself first. He was always acting in his best interest. And so the word Jacob means conniver or heel catcher, one who pulls himself to the front, right? Or somebody who connives and manipulates to get his own way. So the storyline of Jacob, so this is why this is important because this woman, like Jacob, has done this. She's lived this way. So Jacob sees sitting on Jacob's well, and Jacob, Jacob wrestled with Jesus in the, in, the, in the book of Genesis. He wrestled with the angel. The angel is, is what's called a theophany. It's a divine appearing right? Anytime there's the worship of an angel, that angel is Jesus, the monogonosh. He's the human expression. He is the, he is the, he is the Yahweh embodied, the Jews would say. And so Jesus came and was working with Jacob. And as Jacob began to wrestle and he wrestled with them all night, well, what were they wrestling about? Do it my way, Jacob. No, I'm going to do it your, my way. Do it my way, Jacob. No, I'm going to do it my way. This was an ongoing theme of Jacob's life. And Jacob had made nothing but a corrupted mess of his life because every time he got counsel, he did it his way. And so here's Jacob in, again, another corrupted mess. And Jesus is the, the storyline. I'm paraphrasing. But the, sto the storyline is, is the Lord wants him to deal with the issues of his past in order that he can move into his future. Jacob could not move into his future because he refused to deal with the issues of his past 
He had a division between his brother and the Lord wanted him to reconcile with his brother. And he's like, my brother's going to kill me. And so this whole thing was going on. And Jacob did not want to listen to God and didn't want to reconcile the issues of his past. So how many knows if you don't, sometimes if you don't reconcile the issues of your past, you're not moving into your future. It's just the way it is. And so he's telling him, I need you to do this. And Jacob doesn't want to do it. And so they wrestle and the dawn is breaking. And the Lord's like, the dawn's breaking. I'm leaving. And Jacob grabbed him and said, don't go unless you bless me. And the Lord did what? What did he do? Ah, he changed his name. He said, your problem is you've never asked me to name you. Your problem is that you've allowed everybody to name you. Your family has named you. Your circumstances have named you. You've named yourself and you've never let me name you. You want my blessing? Let me rename you. Let me re-identify you. Let me rebrand you. Let me reposition you. Let me change everything about you because in changing your name and changing your perception, I'll change everything about your life. And so he named him Israel and Israel means Prince of God. So he went from the self-seeker to the Prince of God. How many knows as you, as a, as a, the Bible says this, as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. As you see and perceive, so you will be. It's just true. It's absolutely true. If you see yourself as a loser, how many knows, right? This is this plays into Christianity all the time. If you see yourself as a sinner saved by grace, you're always gonna be an I'm just a sinner saved by grace. The Bible doesn't call you that. Never does it refer to us this way. It refers to us as sons and daughters, right? To those who received Jesus, he gave the right, the authoritative right to be called the sons and daughters of God. You have been given a right the title that God refers to you at over and over in the scriptures is sons and daughters, yet we refuse to see ourselves in light of the identity that he's placed us over our life. Could it be that we cannot bring forth the destiny or the purposes within our life because we keep seeing ourselves in the right and the wrong way? You gotta say to yourself, I'm a daughter of the highest. I'm not making that decision. I'm a son of the highest. I'm not doing that. My inheritance is not of this world. My inheritance is of his. I don't need this. My, everything that flows, flows from, from, from above, Right? And so God renames Jacob. He renames him and renames him Israel. And so here he's sitting on the well of a person who lived the way that they wanted to live. And here comes another woman who lived the way that she wanted to live. She, her, her religion, her faith, she didn't have anything spiritual. If she had spirituality at all, it was a mix of Old Testament and Assyrian paganism because she was half Assyrian. And so even when she's talking to Jesus, Jesus is like, you don't know what you're talking about, you know? You're saying this and saying that. He's like, no, that's not true. That's not true. Let me tell you the truth. So she had a mixture. So if there was Reiki, this chick practiced Reiki. If there was Santeria, she probably tried that. Makumba, you know, she was in on all, all these little things, trying to dally it up, trying to find some power, trying to find some source. Yoga, she did that. Transcendental meditation, why not? You know, she was going for all of it. And she was a mixture. And her life was screwed up. She not only had a spirituality that was screwed up, she had, she had a relationship problem that was screwed up. This woman was married five times. Five times. <laughs> I was at a wedding one time and I cracked this joke. I mean, she, she laughed. She's like, I'm so nervous. I go, don't be nervous. You're only gonna do this four or five times in your life. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's like, you said that to the bride. I did. But no, 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 just kidding. But this woman was married five times. So what, she, what this means is this woman was probably beautiful because she got five guys to marry her, right? 
And so here she is probably at the end of her life. She's all of her charms, all of her beauty. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. A woman who fears the Lord will be praised. So she, her deceitful and all of her charms are gone, right? She's, she can't use that anymore. She's used everything that she had to her advantage to manipulate things back to herself. And she's none the better. She's lost. Five relationships and she's living with a guy in a trailer down by the river. <laughs> and she's coming to get water at noontime. Why noontime? Because the women would come in the morning and in the evenings. And they, she didn't want anybody around her. She didn't want the gossip, right? There wasn't Facebook, Instagram, email, none of that. They would all gossip. Oh, there she is. There she is. Mm, who does that woman think she is? Look what she's wearing. Look what she's wearing. That girl been married five times. I hear she's living with Larry in a trailer down by the river. <gasps> you kidding me? The gossip, right? The finger pointing, the condemnation. Jesus had none of that for her. He didn't say anything like that to her. He told her, call your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, you got that right. You've had five and the one you're living with is not your husband. She's like, you're a prophet. <laughs> she pivoted right off of herself. If you read the story, she completely pivots off herself. She didn't want to talk about herself. She's like, Let's talk about spirituality. You know, she switched the script because she didn't want to talk about herself. Probably a lot of pain, a lot of pain in her life. Jesus didn't judge her for that. He didn't come to do that. He came to heal her. She's looking, for, come on, looking for love in all the wrong places, right? She finds a love of the lifetime and she goes and tells the world. She found the only man that wouldn't use her. The only man that wouldn't abuse her and take everything from her. The only man that wanted her best interest and wanted nothing but good for her. It's true. Woman's at the well. She's at Jacob's well. Prophetic statement. Having this conversation. Disciples walk up and go, what in the world is going on? They're probably over here having a conversation. He's like, Peter, you see what I see? I see what you see, man. It's like she's talking to a woman. She's not talking to a woman. She's talking to a Samaritan, right? Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. And rabbis didn't talk to women. Religious rules, not Jesus' rules. You understand that? Those were the rules of the religion. Those were not Jesus' rules. Jesus brings his disciples into Samaria. No Jew would go to Samaria. Jesus, boom, I didn't say that. Did I tell y'all not to go to Samaria? No? Okay, well then I get to go to Samaria. Did I tell anybody you couldn't talk to women? No? Well then I'm talking to women. They had created a system of traditions and order and legalism that does not in the scripture. Not there. Say it with me, Jesus. Come on, Jesus will never violate his word, but he will violate my understanding. He will never violate his word, but he will violate your perception and your understanding of it. We see with paradigm blindness, we see with doc like doctrine, you know, and teaching. It's not scriptural. It's not there. This is why the rabbis and they would, or the Pharisees would always come up to Jesus. And what was his number one correction? Have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? In other words, it doesn't say that. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I said. They had created their own traditions. And Jesus told them, by your traditions, you make the word of God of no effect. Because you prefer traditions and paradigms that suit your purposes. And you reject what I come to bring. He's sitting there. He didn't have a problem with it. We saw him what, We saw him in the court of the women, right? Jesus is in the court of the room. John chapter 2. He's in the court of the women. In the court of the women. 
In case you don't know, the rabbi, the, no man went into the court of the women. That'd be like, like using a lady's restroom kind of thing. It would be like, you know, you're in a women's space here, man. You're like, a, but Jesus didn't have a problem with it. Say, how do you know he was in the court of the women? Because that's where the treasury was. And Jesus was watching what they gave. So he has to be in the court of the women because the treasury was in the court of the women. Jesus didn't have a problem with that. It's like, your rule's not mine. Wash your hand on a Sabbath, your rule's not mine. And it wasn't washing hands, it was ceremonial. They didn't do, he didn't, you know, eating on the Sabbath, all, these, all of these rules that they were trying to force upon him. He's like, I have none of it. He said, what shall I like in this generation to? He said, you're like children in the marketplace saying we played a tune, Lord, and you didn't dance. We sang, hot, we sang mournful songs and you didn't weep with us. And so they were offended at him because he didn't dance to their tune and he didn't do it the way they wanted him to do it. He's not under that obligation at all. He never violated his word, but he violates our understanding. He does it all the time. The church creates boxes. You have world culture, church culture, and kingdom culture. I'm all in on kingdom culture. Come on, right? <laughs> the woman said to him, I know when Messiah is coming, who is the Christ, he will tell us all things. So this woman has all this crazy belief system, yet she has a clear picture of the Messiah. This is a clear picture. How is it possible? Watch this. I love this. Let me see if I can do it again. <laughs> Pray for me. Let me see. I have it in my notes here. Hold on. I just got it on another thing. Uh, come on, pull down. She's quoting Isaiah 11. This is what she's doing. So I got Isaiah 11 up. So here's this, here's this uh, woman. She says, we know when Messiah comes, he's going to show us all things. Are you he? Right? Why would she quoting Isaiah 11? Because Isaiah 11 tells that, says specifically that when the Messiah comes, he's going to know all things. And he's going to reveal all things. So it says this. A shoot or a branch will come up from the stump of Jesse, the root of Jesse. And from its roots, it, there will bear fruit. So this is referencing the, the line of the kings. So David was the line of the kings. Then he's, Jesse was David's father. And what this is saying is that the line of the kings will be cut off. At this moment in Israel, there was no king. Jesus is of the line of David. He is the branch. That word branch in Hebrew, I'm fire hosing you, is the word Nazar. That's where the word Nazarene, he shall be called a Nazarene. It doesn't come because he came from Nazareth. It comes because he's the branch, the Hebrew word Nazar. Jesus is the Nazar. He is the branch of Jesse. He is the one who comes up from the fallen line of the kings. That's what it's saying. And Isaiah's prophesying that one will rise from the fallen line of the kings and he will be the branch, the Nazar. And from his roots, he will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will be upon him. And he will have wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and reverence and honor of the Lord. So she knew this. She knew that this referenced the Messiah. And she knew when Messiah comes, he's going to show everything. He's going to put everything. He's going to clarify everything. And he will delight in the honor of the Lord. He will not judge with his eyes. He's not judging her with his eyes. And the righteousness of his heart, he will judge. The Bible says... And with justice, he will give the rightful decisions to the needy of the earth. Justice is equality. Justice is shalom. Right? He will strike the earth with his mouth, and with his breath he will slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be his belt, and faithfulness shall be his chash. Wickedness. So let's just say that. Everybody gets all weird with wickedness. So let's say it with me. There's the righteous. There's the godless. And there's the wicked. This is the spectrum of humanity. If you're in Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and therefore no condemnation. If you're not in Jesus, you're among the godless. You just don't know. You're walking around going, I don't know. I think this is what it means. I think that's what it means. I think that's what it means. I think that's what it means. 
You're godless. You're in between. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Most godless people are the nice people. They're the people in between. They're your neighbors and your coworkers. So they are. They're just godless. They're not bad. Then you have the wicked. The wicked are the ones who violate conscience all the time. Their conscience means nothing to them. They will hurt you, destroy you, take everything from you, grind you to powder, and not think twice about it. That's the wicked. So the Bible says, I will strike the wicked, right? He's talking about that nature of a person that's conscience has been seared, or they don't even care about their conscience. Anybody ever met anybody like that? No? I've met plenty of people like that. That just, they, they want to harm me. They want to hurt me for no reason. They want to hurt my family. They want to hurt everything about me. That's a wicked person. That's, that's, what, that's what it's talking about. And there's plenty of them. Look around. The world is filled with them. God's going to bring that. He's going to judge it. And so here's the deal. In time, here's the deal. He also brings justice to you, Christian. If you're in Christ, he has equalized the level of, of your life. You have an inheritance. So as a believer, the Lord judges out of the rightness of his heart, and he brings justice and equality to the needy. He lifts the weary from the ashes and sets them among princes. You're set among princes if you're in Christ, and you have an inheritance. You think everything's against you. It doesn't matter what's against you. The Lord is for you. What you need to understand is God has equalized your life. Your opportunity is given to you. Your inheritance is given to you. You just don't understand it or you don't see it. The favor and the blessing of God is with you. What's my barriers? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are your barriers. The worldly system does not, is in opposition to the kingdom. Your flesh, full of fear, full of faithfulness, faithlessness, full of cowardice, is against you. And most certainly, the devil's never going to give you a clean run at it. But the favor of God is with you. And the favor of God has an opportunity for you. God's for you, not against you. The Lord has equalized the life of all. You can move forward as, to, 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 as far as you want to go. It's a partnership. It's a communion. It's a covenant. There's a lot of things to this, but I want to throw the concept at you. The other reason she's quoting Isaiah 11 is not because she knows the Messiah will reveal all things. This particular chapter talks about the reclamation of the remnants from Assyria, which is nuts. Here this woman is, she's half Jew, half Assyrian. She's outcast. And the Lord says at the end of the chapter, I will bring back my remnant people from Assyria. And they knew that. And they knew that their reclamation, mm, they, sorry, I'm with you. I got it. I am a ministry professional. I can hold the anointing. I can do this, right? Their reclamation came when Messiah would come. They knew they would be reclaimed. They knew when Messiah comes, all of this is going to get clarified. They knew when Messiah comes, he will reclaim us. He will take away our shame. He will take away our brokenness. They knew it. That's why the whole town showed up. Woman says, Messiah's at the well. They're like, what? They were waiting for it, longing for it. The one who would come and take away the stain that we carry. The one who would come and take away our outcasts and our make us one. Crazy, man. And so of all the things, this woman had this juxtaposed. She had all of these confusing elements within her worship, but she knew that. And that's what she's referencing when she's talking to him. She's referencing Isaiah 11. You see it over and over again in scripture. They speak a common language. Jesus, this isn't like random stuff they're talking about. Jesus comes first to the household of Israel because they spoke a common language. Then he goes to the outcasts of Israel. Why? Because they speak a common language. 
And it was among Gentiles, once he brought, once he brought the, the, the Jews into, a, into this common understanding, they were to go to the Gentiles. They were to be the light of the nations. He's the glory of Israel, and he's the light of the Gentiles. This makes sense to you at all. So Jesus, <laughs> thank you. So Jesus, makes, Jesus meets this woman at the well. They had a clear reference to the Messiah. This woman had all these mixtures. Disciples are shocked, like completely shocked. And here's the point. This is a big point. I'm going to make two points, two, two points. First point is this, and I'm going to make one more point. But here's the point. This is a big one. The disciples are shocked. And so here you see this system, this system, and does this have any play into the church today? I think it has a lot of play into the church today. The system of teaching that Israel had laid down had produced nothing but natural mindedness. They were all naturally minded. Yet it's very clear within the scripture that it was spiritual. They were nothing but natural. He goes to Nicodemus and talks about being born again. Whoop, right over his head. Couldn't get it. Teacher of Israel, elite teacher of Israel. No knowledge, no understanding of spiritual things. Everything's rational. How can a person be born again if they're going to enter their mother's womb? Right? Goes to the woman at the well, talks to her about living water. She's like, how do you have living water if you don't have a bucket? Again, natural mindedness. Natural mindedness. Jesus is talking about food that comes from another world. And they're like, what are you talking about, man? They were all raised within a system and within a culture. And that culture had done them a huge injustice because they had denied the spirit. Yep. Yep. They denied the spirit. Church does it all day long. Everything's rational. It's got to meet with our understanding, and it has to be rational, or it can't be true. Just like Nicodemus, what are we going to do there? We're going to lay hands on somebody, and we're going to get healed? Well, that doesn't make any sense. We're going to lift our hands in praise? What are we doing? We just moving through the air? No understanding. No understanding. Completely and spiritually devoid and safe within the rational boxes that we create. We create rational boxes that make sense to us and keep us all safe in our understanding. Nothing Jesus did here was safe. He takes these guys to, to Samaria. He doesn't explain to them anything about Samaria. He just takes them there. That was completely out of their context. He takes them to Caesarea Philippi, the center of idol worship in that part of the world. And he walks his disciples right in to the Pantheon. It was a grotto in, in Caesarea Philippi. All the gods of the world, were, that were, of the nations, were represented in this grotto. And Caesar was at the top. And Jesus stands there with his disciples, good Jewish boys who would never go there. And he says to them, in the midst of this, who am I? Who am I? Yeah. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say this, some this. And he's standing in the grotto with these men at Caesarea Philippi. And he says, who do you say I am? In the gods of the culture, who am I? Amongst all the gods of men, who am I? Yeah? He has no problem doing it. No problem whatsoever. None at all. Didn't apologize. Didn't even explain himself because he doesn't need to. Disciples are shocked. And what happened is they had produced within themselves a natural mindedness of thought. Say it with me. I am not called to natural mindedness. We are called to be spiritually minded. Do we see natural mindedness within the church? All day long. All day long. We run in fear. Can I get a witness? 
Oh my gosh, we run in fear. And we've got every excuse in the world to run in fear. We don't run in fear as individuals. We run in fear corporately. In mass, we run in fear. We're not worldly minded. That's worldly mindedness. Any decision made in fear is always the wrong one. Write that down. Holy Spirit doesn't speak fear. It is not in the heart of God fear. He does not understand it at all. Any decision you make out of fear is always the wrong one. I didn't say you didn't make a decision and you were afraid to do it, right? There's a difference. God told you and you're kind of afraid. You don't know where this is going, but you do it anyway. That's different than being just completely freaked out and just impulsively reacting to fear. That's wrong. I make hard decisions all the time. I'm about to do another one very soon here. God help me. And I'm not, and I know clearly what God is saying, and I'm afraid. <laughs> but that doesn't mean God hasn't told me. So am I making the decision out of fear? No, I'm making the decision out of faith because faith overcomes fear. The fear is telling me not to. So I'm not reacting to the fear. If I was reacting to the fear, I wouldn't make the decision. Because the fear now has driven me in a different direction. We're naturally minded. We're called to be spiritually minded. Romans says this, Romans 8, the carnal mind is the enemy of God, for it is not subject to the word of God, nor can it be. Those who walk in a carnal or worldly mind cannot please God. You cannot please God. So the Christian that operates in the mindset of the culture on earth as it is in heaven is how we're supposed to think. We're not supposed to think like CNN, MSNBC, who God knows whoever's influencing you, the pack, you know. Dare I say it, Dr. Fauci, dare I say it? I know, I said it, I said it, bad pastor, bad pastor. Dr. Fauci's not my prophet. That offends you, take it up with Jesus. <laughs> reeling myself back in, just reeling it back in, all good. We're not called to walk by natural mindedness, Christian. It's death, the Bible says. To be naturally minded produces death, nothing good. And you cannot please God from natural mindedness. It says the carnal mind is enmity with God or the enemy of God. He uses a noun here. This isn't a verb. So it's not my thoughts are what the enemy of God. That's not what he's saying. Because people think that the thoughts are what the, or what's working. It's not the thought. It's the mind itself. He uses the noun, the carnal mind, the noun, the personhood of the mind, the thing of the mind. That, that thing itself is the enemy of God. It cannot and will not subject itself to God. Won't. That's why you need the mind of the Spirit and you need the mind of Christ. This is what the Scripture is saying. So you can't fulfill, you cannot honor the Lord if you walk with worldly counsel, if you walk with a carnal mind, if you're doing everything everybody else is doing. And you're thinking like the world. We don't think like the world. We don't act like the world. We don't use our money like the world. We don't treat our bodies like the world. We don't, we don't do any of this. We're a peculiar people. We don't think like that. We don't act like that. Doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. You're going to make plenty of them. Lots of them. That doesn't disqualify you. A willful disobedience is what sets you aside. Not, not salvation, but destiny-wise. Come on. There are two minds. You have the natural mind and you have the super natural mind. Which one do you want? Come on, man. Right? Don't we want the supernatural mind? And he gives it to you. He gives it to you. It's yours. You just got to learn it. You have to learn it. Romans 12.1, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
As a living sacrifice, so it's hard, right? I beseech you, I exhort you, I encourage you, present yourselves a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's gonna take some sacrifice on your part to go through transformation, but it says you will prove the acceptable will of God. So here you have Romans 8 saying, if you walk in the natural mind, you will not honor the Lord. If you walk, Romans 12 is saying, if you walk in the mind of the spirit, the will of the perfect will of God will come forth from your life. Well, it's showing us, it's telling us. Yes, come on. <laughs> the carnal mind. Roman says, James says this, wisdom that comes from this world is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. <gasps> it's coming from demonic sources. What kind of, what, what does this mind look like? Well, he tells us, envy and selfish and self-seeking brings disorder and every evil practice. The mind of this world is envious, not jealousy, envious right so there's like yeah i don't have time so you have you have envy and you have self-seeking that is the mind of this world yeah. it's everything it's what you have for me it's not a collaborative it's not a cooperative it's not a blessing it's not a this we look to it's like everything is mine gimme 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 my name is jimmy has nothing to do with success or anything like that that's right the mind of this world look up look at the people look how look how people are treated in corporations that's a worldly mindset, right? They use and abuse you until they're done with you and then there's the door. Without a thought, 2,700 people laid off in Mississippi, fired in Mississippi, two days before Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, you're fired. <laughs> two days before Thanksgiving, right? You can't wait till after the holidays, bro. You can't suck it up, 2,700 people. Use and abuse, there's the door. Thanks very much, I'm, and you know, where, you know where the owner is? He's in Paris with his family. People don't even know how they're going to pay their bills. They don't even know what could, you know, it's, it's just merciless, you know? And it's like, okay, I get it. If there's nothing there, then we move on. But, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's just wrong. You can see this kind of, you can see this kind of thinking. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to walk in the mind of the spirit. The, the wisdom that comes from above with the mind of the spirit. I'm going to go into this because I want to show you how to do this. The mind of the spirit comes, for, comes from heaven. It is first pure. This word means pure. It means clear. So this is what the mind of the spirit looks like, right? And you know, when you're worshiping, anybody know like when you're in the spirit and how clear everything is? You know what I'm talking about? This clarity, that is the mind of the spirit. From that place is where we draw from. So the mind of the spirit is first clear. So that's what happens when you're in worship. You know, and you're worshiping and you just feel like, I just, all my problems are gone, I don't even know right? Because you're in the spirit and there's just this clarity. You're freaking out. You get with the Lord and all of a sudden everything gets really, really clear. So what comes from the Lord, the mind that we are to draw from is not our anxieties, not our uncertainties, not our fear, not our counsel from the world, but from the clarity that comes in the spirit. And the way that we do this is, say it with me, we must learn, we must learn. to practice the, practice the presence, a lost art within the church. We must learn to practice the presence. What's that mean? You have to set time aside. It has to become part of your lifestyle where you're immersing yourself in the presence of God. Not just with worship and adoration, but with counsel. Jesus is the wonderful. Hmm? He has the spirit of wisdom, spirit of might, spirit of power. He's got it all. And he has no problem sharing it with you. But he's not sharing it with you in your natural state. He's going to share it with you in the spirit. Right? So what will happen? I'll just give you an example. Look, you know, if you can do it five days a week, seven days a week, boom, have at it. I try to hit an above average margin. 
I'm shooting for three to four days a week, right? And I've been doing, I do it, I do it all the time, but there was, a, you know, but there was gaps where I wasn't doing it enough and I saw a difference. So what I do, all right, I'm not telling you to do what I do. I'm certainly not saying that. I'm trying to give you a model that you can work off of. I go and spend time with the Lord and I'm not spending time with the Lord like dutifully studying the scriptures theologically, oh, most holy God. No, I'm in the communion. I go where he is. I worship him. I honor him. I'm submitted to him. I yield to him. I talk to him. I let him instruct me. This is a difficult one. Say with me. There's the voice of the father and there's the voice of the king. And they are two distinct voices. And most Christians never learn or are unwilling to submit to the voice of the king. Oh, we love the voice of the father. I love the voice of the father. Kevin, I'm with you. I'm gonna take care of you. You're my son. I have a purpose for you. I have a destiny for you. I have a calling on your life. You're going to, I'm gonna do these things with you. Uh, you know, it's that whole family security warm aspect. But the way you bring that forward is you have to listen to the king. You're not bringing that forward through the voice of the Father. You have to listen to the King, right? And He gives you direct instructions. He gives you clear instructions. He tells you things that you don't want to hear. Jesus would never say that. He was with the disciples in the book of Mark, one of my favorite stories. I love it. They're talking about bread and everything, and they can't figure out what Jesus is talking about. Jesus looks at His disciples, <laughs> and He says, have I been with you this long, and you're still dull? Can you imagine? Have I been with you three years and you still don't understand spiritual things? Let's put it, let's bring it home. You've been a Christian for how long? And you still are so, so you're still dull? I meet them all the time, all the time. We're not called to be dull. You can stay there if you want. The heir, so long as they are a child, are no different than a slave. You can stay in immaturity. You're an heir, but you're no different than a slave. Until you understand that you need to grow up and step up, nothing's changing. If you, I told first service, if you want to be an average Christian, you got a lot of company. You will never have to worry about standing out at all because that is, the, that is 95, and I'm being generous, percent of the church. Only 5% or less pursue purpose and destiny at a higher level. They can't handle it. Jesus gives a statement. He speaks as a king. If you not you deny yourself and follow me and take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. Deny your mother, deny your father, deny everything, every influence around you and listen to me alone or you're not worthy of me. What happened? Poof, they all went. That's the same thing in the church today. People can't handle that voice. But that is the voice that brings you into the kingdom, the depth. You're in the kingdom when you come to Christ, but the depths of the kingdom. How many knows the king knows his kingdom? Does anybody know that? Any king knows his kingdom. You're a bad king if you don't know your kingdom, right? In my father's house, there are many realms, oranos. We translated houses. It's not translated houses. It's oranos. It means realms. In my father's house, there's many oranoses. I go there now to make access for you. That's, how that's, that's the literal Greek translation of that verse. In my father's house, there are many mansions. I go there now to prepare a place for you. Jesus is building me a condo in glory. It's not what he's saying. It's not it's so dumb. It's so, it's so deluded and dumbed down. Like the power is just like ripped right out of it. It's just nuts. God's called you higher, but 95%, if you want to be common and average, you're loved, you're going to heaven. You'll never hear a word from me. You know, I'm going to teach you to go higher. You don't have to. You're going to have to confront your fear. 
You're going to have to confront yourself. You're going to have to confront the demonic powers that, that resist you and stand against you. But you'll never have to confront the Lord because he's for you. He's calling you forward. Amen. Amen. Right? He tells him, he said, listen, worldly wisdom doesn't going to get you there. It's not going to get you there. Right? Here's Romans 12. I exhort you by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is reasonable. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to give up the way that you think. Do not be conformed to this world, but by transform. See the difference? Don't be conformed. Conformity and transformity. Conformity. Don't be like everybody else. Don't go with the flow. That's average. Be transformed. Become something that you've never been. Transformed means to be like taken into a place that you've never been. Taken into a person that you've never been. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what he tells them. And you will prove the acceptable will of the perfect and acceptable will of God. You want the will of God? God's going to show you. So it looks like this. I go before the Lord. I start talking to him. I'll tell him how I feel. Like, Lord, I'm afraid. I know you're afraid, Kevin. Do it anyway. Right? Lord, I'm unsure. I know, I know you're unsure. Do it anyway. I get my affirmation from him. I get my, cons- my counsel from him. And I get in the spirit and I learn this. And as he tells me, every, say with me, everything built in the flesh will collapse. Everything built in the spirit will last. That's right. The Lord backs up what he says. He doesn't back up what you say. He backs up what he says. So if he told me and it doesn't work, he's going to bank, he's going to fix it and make it work. So it looks like this, this communal aspect with him. So what happens is as you practice the presence and you create this margin, the first thing the Lord is going to do with you is he is going to teach you to navigate that world. This is where most disconnect because it's a realm. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're not out of control. When, yeah, 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 come on, it's a realm. It's not like you're in this weird realm and you're like losing your mind or something. You're just, you're like in an atmosphere. It's like being underwater. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some people, yeah, some people like to scuba dive and go deep in the water and stuff like that. That freaks me out. I'm not used to that world, right? But the spirit world is like, is very similar to that. That one, I'm, that one I like. But, it's a, but you're, you, you're, you're, you, you come into this realm in this world where you're in the spirit and you're just there. And you know you're in the spirit because time stops. You're in the eternal, and you're like, wow, that was an hour? Because you're in the eternal, right? But you come into this place, and what happens is that most people, as the Holy Spirit leads them, they come into this expanse spiritually, and they're holding on. They can't let go. And I'm not saying let go and get loopy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about like, like, like they, they'll feel the pull, and they, they stay back where it's very natural to them. They don't want, they don't want, they can't let go and come into this place. This is what it means to practice the presence is you're learning to come into this place and be immersed in this place. And you're learning to feel this place out in this navigating place of the spirit. You learn it, you feel it, right? And as you're feeling it, then the communion begins to speak and God begins to commune with you. And then I know when I'm in the spirit, I know it immediately. I know when I have an openness and when I don't. You know, and I'll come and I can feel it, but I, or I'm there, but I don't feel the openness. And I'll be like, Lord, what's, what, what's going on? And he's like, stop thinking about your, your stupid problems and honor me, you know? And then I'll shift away from what I, what I have to do and I'll honor him. Listen, worshiping Jesus is not a waste of time. Honoring the Lord and being in the spirit, that's called, say it with me, it's the stewardship of time. Yeah, you're not wasting it. God can give you more in a moment than you can when two years of your life trying to figure it out. He can give you a word in a moment. He can give you a direction in a moment. He can give you something in a moment. It'll change everything. Change everything. And you're okay to tell him, Lord, I'm afraid. He'll tell you, do it afraid anyway. 
do it anyway. You're afraid, do it anyway, right? That's what I do. I smack myself around, right? Get up. Do it. Do it. Put the stick in your mouth and do it, right? Don't be affected by what's around you. You have to move through that stuff. But you get in the spirit and God has a word for your business. He has a yes. He has a no. He has a stop doing this, do this, do, you know. He does it to me all the time, all the time. He was teaching me something. I was in the spirit. And he was teaching me something to give up my right to be offended. He's like, I want you to give up your right. I didn't even know what he was saying. I'm like, give up my right to be offended. What does that mean? You know, I was sharing with someone. Someone I said, you know, I'm a pastor, so people offend me. <gasps> you know, Christians run around talk about how the pastor offended me. I'm like, get in line. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, most people are very loving and very kind and very gracious and very honoring, but there are a few that are memorable. Right? And they say anything they want to say to you without a barrier, without honor. And you know what they tell you? The Lord told me to tell you that. And I'll be like, okay, well, I don't know you and I don't know that you love me. And if, you, if I know that you love me, then I would give you permission to tell me that. But because I don't know that you love me, you're not the one to tell me that. That's <gasps> the way it is. You know, they jump the thing and want to say everything. So I have, I'd have these offenses with people. It's not a good thing, right? It's not a good thing. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like pastors have offenses. Why do you think they quit ministry? Huh? Why do you think there's such a distance between the pastor and the people? Do you know why? I don't do that. But you know why pastors put a distance between you and, and them? Because they don't want you to offend them. They don't want you dunking on them, you know, if they come up and talk to you. They don't, they, that's, that's the way it is. It's a very vulnerable thing. And it's a, it's a, there's a lot of vulnerability in the position. I'm not defending pastors or doing anything like that. I'm simply trying to give you an understanding of what God instructed me in the spirit. So I'm in the spirit and he tells me, I want you to give up my right to, you know, I'm just like, I'm having a hard time, you know, right? And I tell him, and he says, I want you to give up your right to be offended. Give it up, Kevin. Give me your offenses and I, you have a right to be offended. You do. You're a human being. You have that right. You can hold it. You can hold the offense, but it will not profit you. You have a right to hold it. He's, Jesus isn't going to yank it out of your hand. You have to give it away. And he showed me, I want you to do it. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? He's like, do it like this. And so he shows me to do it like this. And so then I'm working off of that. And so I'm like, okay, I feel, I felt like, okay, I'm better. Woo, yeah, good. And then I'm with him again. And he says to me, how about your right for vengeance? I want you to give up your right for vengeance. And that one was like, have you ever been betrayed? I'm not, this isn't, this, offense is ministry. Betrayal's the world, right? I've had a lot of betrayal and a lot of pain from people, wicked people, who have caused, tried, tried to destroy me and try to cause me a lot of pain. I've had it. And I want, and I want vengeance. I know, I'm, I know, you guys are like, wow, this pastor, we need to just stretch our hands towards this guy and pray for him. I'm trying to put it on the table, ladies and gentlemen. And so the Lord tells me, I want your right of vengeance. I mean, I would have this position. I would be like, I know these people are wicked, and I know they're going to hell. And when you're throwing them in the lake of fire, Jesus, I, I want you to call my number and let me come and watch that. <laughs> I want to be standing there and go, yo, remember me? <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> Yeah, and so the Lord's like, give up your right of vengeance. 
And I had to learn, I have a right of vengeance. I've been harmed, I've been wronged. People have transgressed me, people have wounded me, people have tried to outright destroy me. I have a right to vengeance, but vengeance belongs to the Lord. And the devil will resist me because I'm in possession of something that as a kingdom son is not mine. As a kingdom son, vengeance belongs to my father. Now he'll let me hold it, but as I hold it, just like anything, it works against me because it's not mine to carry. And so in the spirit, I'm just telling you how he communes with me. And he tells me, give me your vengeance. Give me your surrender, your right of vengeance. That one threw me, you know, because I, I was looking forward to the day. But anyway, I gave it up. I feel free. I'm all good. But it was in the spirit, you understand, the mind of the spirit where he begins to instruct me. And he begins to commune with me. And I'll talk to him about things. And I'll ask him questions. And he always instructs me. He always instructs me. Jesus is, say with me, Jesus isn't fly-by-night. In other words, he's not drive-by. We treat him like he's drive-by. We treat him like, okay, Lord, I need counsel on this, 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 and this, and a Big Mac and a fries to go with that. <laughs> Have it ready at the window. He's not like that. He will go silent on you until you'll commune with him. Yeah, he's like, yeah. He wants you. Your, your problems are not his problem. The problems don't, are not problems for Jesus. He doesn't have a problem with your problem. His issue is you and the communalness that he desires with you, what he desired to have with you and through you and in you. That means everything to him. That is everything. Honor, communion, love relationship means everything to him. Your problems don't mean a thing, man. He, how many, has anybody ever had to turn it around? He turns it around. He not only turns it around, he'll show you how to prosper. You can have the most horrible loss. And in the communal with the Lord, he'll not only turn it around, but he will restore it. Is <laughs> what he does. These, those are not his issues. That's not his issues. His issue is the communalness, the love relationship, and, the, and the, getting you to open up to him, getting you to get into that space and begin to commune with him. You're afraid. Welcome to the planet right? I've got issues. Welcome to the planet, right? Lord, here's the other one. Lord, what is it in me that prevents me from doing that? This is, again, this is a prophetic thing, but that, again, comes from that place in the spirit. I just recently, I felt like the Lord, <laughs> there's somebody getting married in, in this month, and they're like, you didn't cancel us, did you? I'm like, no, but I was praying because God was telling me, like, these things that he wants me to do, and I'm like, I don't have the time, you know, not that I'm making an excuse. And I'm like, I'm not trying to make an excuse. Like, like, like my schedule, you know, I need you to clear my schedule, right? I need, I, need, I need a window here. I have to have open time to do this. And then lo and behold, Shelly calls me uh, last a couple weeks ago, because we talk a lot, but anyway, she calls and says, oh, pastor, I just want to let you know I cleared your whole schedule for December. <laughs> Meetings and things like that. And the woman that's getting married came up to me and said, you didn't, you didn't cancel our wedding, did you? I'm like, no, I didn't cancel your wedding. I was just, it's just appointments and things like that because I feel like God's telling me to do something, but she didn't know that. I didn't tell her to do that. I just told the Lord, I need you to clear some things out for me in order for me to step into this. And pff, within a week, but where did that happen? That happened in that space again because he's instructing me. He's communing with me. He's showing me, you know, and there's a lot to this, but the, the point being is that you cannot live, draw water, draw food from, and you cannot, you know, life is not in natural mindedness. I drive my wife crazy. I make very slow decisions. Just because it's the right decision doesn't mean it's the one the Lord wants me to make. And I'm like, I don't hear anything, you know, until I, until I hear him tell me yes or no, 
or until I tell, hear him tell me it's, yours to, it's your decision to make, which most of the time I'm always like, I don't want to make the decision, Jesus. I don't trust myself. I trust you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not myself. But I, that's, how I, that's how it is. This, this is. this is what this is talking about. You have naturally minded people here, but God has not called us to this level. He's called us to this deeper place. This is where life comes into you, but you've got to be willing to go there. You've got to let him tell you what your problem is. You won't like it when he tells you. You won't like it. You won't like it. You're faithless. What do you mean I'm faithless? I'll give you a couple with my own, right? This is a simple one. I've shared it before, but I want to give you context. This is such an important thing. It's second service, so I can go a little long, all right? Just a little long. Just going to go a little long. I know I make everybody mad, but that's all right. Jesus still loves me. I know. Don't. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got my fan club, you know, the Jesus fan club. They're always drawing me further. So, so I've shared this before, but I would go to the Lord and I would say, what is my problem, Lord? What is preventing me? See, we always think that the problem's out there or we think that the problem's with the Lord. You, the 90% of the problem is you. And I know that's hard to digest. Nine out of the day, there might be other people in the process, but you are nine-tenths of the problem. And so I would go to the Lord and I would say, what is the issue here? What is preventing me here? What's going on here? Why can't I, what's, you know, I would be talking to him about my life. And I'd say, I'd give you permission to talk to me about that. And he said, you have the sin of unbelief. <gasps> so of course, me and my hyper defense, I like lay it out. And I'm like, oh, sin of unbelief. Well, let's go do some business here. Roll out the plans, roll out the story of my life, roll out everything. I'm like, faith, 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 faith. Faith, 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 faith. Everything I've done has been faith, Lord. I've taken enormous risks. How can you tell me I have the sin of unbelief? <laughs> and you know what he says to me? If you believed that I was going to do with your life what I told you I was going to do, you would be living differently. But because you don't do, you don't believe that I'm going to use you or do this with you. You don't, you don't live towards it. Therefore, you have the sin of unbelief. I'm thinking he's mapping my life. He's talking about my now. I, didn't I tell you this, Kevin? Then why are you doing this? If you believe that I was going to do what I told you I was going to be doing, you'd be living differently. But because you will not bring yourself into an alignment with what I told you, right? You have unbelief. I was like, Okay, well, that makes sense. And then I began to deal with why don't I do that? What is my problem? Where, is this, where does this be? Do I fear success? Do I fear failure? You know, is it a value and worth issue? Do I not feel like I'm good enough for this? Like, what is it? Mind my soul. David said, search me and know me. Where is it in me that is dysfunctioning against you? Where am I self-destructive? Like, we like to make excuses as Christians. I don't make excuses. Oh, we like to play this little placating game. Oh, it might not be God's will. No, really? I don't, I, don't, I don't deal with that. I believe in a kingdom that is real and a kingdom that is active, a kingdom that can be encountered and a kingdom that can be experienced. That's my role. And that is what I give my life to. I don't play these little nonsensical, you know, games. I, I'm not interested in religious, like, stupid stuff. I want to know what's the problem, Lord. I want to know. Tell me. You. Me. Oh. You have the sin of unbelief. I've said that one time, this woman comes up to me and she's like, I feel so sorry for you, pastor. And I'm like looking at her going, and you think that's why I was telling you that story so that you'd feel sorry for me? I'm telling you that story so that you could see the reality of how this works. It's nothing about empathy. 
I got all the empathy, you know, and I mean, I love your empathy, prayers, all that stuff. I don't want to deny that. But at the end of the day, it's about him. I'm trying to show you how it works. I want kingdom. I want kingdom. Just a thought. Every believer is called to evangelize. This woman goes as the last point. I'm going to make it real quick. Say it with me. I have a ministry. And it is the ministry of reconciliation. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, no matter what your occupation uh, is, you have a vocation. You have a calling to reach the world around you. Yeah, every one of us does, right? Not just the pastor and the evangelist. Everybody's got a calling to reach. This woman goes into town, and she, talk, and she brings the whole town. All she did was, say with me, all she did, all she did was, invite. was invite. Most powerful evangelism in the New Testament is when somebody just invited. She just goes and invites. She didn't do a Billy Graham crusade. She didn't put up a tent and start preaching Jesus to the, to the city. She just said, hey, come and see. Come and see. Come experience this. Come and be a part of something that's transforming me. I want you to come and see. Every believer is called to, to, we're called to reach them, demonstrate, and invite them. Ready? Watch this. Jesus says to them, he's saying, don't say the harvest is white and there's four months. I say it's now. The one who reaps will receive wages. Right? I'm almost done. Hang with me. This is good. I want to help you with this, right? The one who reaps will receive wages. What does this mean? If you're reaching people, Jesus is going to pay you. He's going to pay you. This is what the Bible says. The one who goes and reaps for me, I will pay you. I will give you wages. Yeah? I'm going to, you're going to cash checks. You say, what kind of check? I don't know, but if Jesus' name is on it, I know it's a good check. He says, I will give you wages. It's incentive. <laughs> and he who reaps will receive wages, and you will gather fruit for eternal life. You're not only going to receive wages, you're going to gather fruit for eternal life. You're going to carry something with you for eternity for doing that. He says, I've sent you into a field you didn't work. So we're called, to, we're called, we're already out there. Whatever you do, you say it with me. I have an oikos. Oikos simply means household. That's what it means. And household means center of influence. So we are all called, say it with me. I'm called, I'm called to reach into my center of influence. What does that look like? Your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, and the whosoever's. You're called to reach into that sphere, right? You're called. There's not, listen, you're, we're all going to answer for this. We're, we're going to answer. Jesus isn't going to go, we're going to go, well, I was afraid. You know, you don't think that woman was afraid? The whole town had shunned her, yet she went to them. Well, I was offended. Why, what, why do I have to give them anything? She went anyway. She went to people that heard her, offended her, a whole nine. There's a whole story there. So this woman was an example. She had every excuse. She was broken. She'd failed in her life. She'd been jaded. She'd been hurt. She was afraid, many things, but she did it. We're called to, this is the minimum standard is invite. This is, this is, Jesus expects all of us to do this, all of us. So Christmas party, I'm at the Christmas party, picking up the food, a girl comes out, you know, a woman comes out with a cart and everything, we're loading it in the back of Quinn's car, and uh, I feel the Holy Spirit go, you know, and I know he's telling me to invite her, right? So I'm like, hey, boom, 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 boom. I mean, I'm a machine gunner, but I invited her, right? Because I felt, the comp I felt compelled to invite this woman. I was working with another guy this week, and I, and I knew he wasn't a Christian, and I just was looking for the open door, and as, as soon as I found the open door, he's talking about his life and how screwed up his life is. I'm like, bro, you need to come to Jesus. You need to start following Jesus, get filled with the Holy Spirit, and you'll be a different person. He's like, it sounds too good to be true. I said, it's so good, it is true. And when I paid him, I gave him an extra 25 bucks, and I said, that's for gas so that you don't have any excuse to come to church. Right? <laughs> that's what I told him. Right? Is he going to come? I don't know. 75% of the seed Jesus said the sower sows falls to nothing. 
three out of four goes on bad, doesn't produce anything. But what produces is exponential. So he's willing to waste the seed because he knows when he gets the good seed, it's going to be exponential. So if you think, if Jesus fails three out of four times, and most of the people Jesus ministered to rejected him. Just so you know, I mean, we share all the glory stories of the 5,000 people in the book of Acts and the, you know, the thousands of people in the Sermon on the Mount, but the majority of people rejected him. Those stories aren't Corazon, right? All of these northern cities that he went and preached the kingdom to, they rejected him. Nazareth, his own hometown, rejected him. So rejection's part of the game. But all we do is invite them. We invite them to what? So here it is, trial, tragedy, or transition. This is where people are open. People are not always open. The guy who's balling out, you know, he's got the May back, you know, and he's got everything going right his way, right? He's got everything going his way. He doesn't need Jesus. He's his own Jesus. He's his own God. But the people that go through trial, tragedy, or transitions, their hearts are open. People that are going through difficult times that don't have the answer, that's the person, right? So your coworker comes to you and says, man, I'm really going through it. Man, let me pray for you. Or you know what? Come, you know what? Hey, man, I go to this church. Come to this church, man. I'll meet you. We'll take you in. We'll, you know, we'll get people at church. They'll pray for you. Elevate praise for you. We, we will pray. Somebody in this room will pray for you. Yeah? We have a prayer team. We, we will, if you need something and somebody's here, we're going to pray for you because you're going to get prayer, right? At the very least. It's, it looks like that. Somebody going through a tragedy. They've just experienced a tremendous loss. They're open. Their life is broken. There's nothing there. They need something. The person going through transition. They just moved into town. They just started a new job. They don't have any friends. You know, we have TRDs, the real deal, and we have, uh, what's the other one? Uh, yeah, yeah groups. We have these, and we have life groups. So it's like one of them just went out axe throwing. So it's kind of like just moved to town. Hey, man, I'm going, you know, why don't you come to church? Oh, no, I don't want to go to church. We're going to go throw, we're going to, but this group, oh, why don't you come to this group with me? We're going to go throw axes. Axes? Well, I'd like to throw an axe. My boyfriend just broke up with me. You know what I tell him? Bring his picture. We'll put it on the wall, and you can throw the axe at his picture. Well, it's what Jesus would want. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But reaching people. So here's the, here's the rub, right? I'm a little over, but, I'm, but just stay with me. Stay with me. Only 10 minutes by my clock, Shelly. We started late. So I'm 10 minutes over, but that's me, okay? So what I want you to do is I want you to identify, say with me, identify five to 10 people in your world that either has a broken connection with church or, has a bro- or doesn't know the Lord at all. Jesus is interested in prodigals, and he's interested in the lost. He's calling the prodigals back to the family, and he's calling the lost to come home for the first time. So this is what he's doing. And if you ask the Lord, show me five or 10 people, go all in, go 10. Your odds are in your favor. So it's an exponential, it's, the game is exponential. So the more, people you, uh, the more people you invite, the higher the average goes. So you're gonna average around 25%. So if you invite 1,000 people, you're, you know, the, the, so the more people you invite, so if you invite 10, you might only get one person because you're not, you're not multi, you don't have enough factors in there to, to pull the average higher. But the more people you invite, the more people, the, the averages go higher. And so the idea is to do that. Usually on 10 people, you're gonna get one to say yes. Come with me. Well, when, when should I come? I don't know, come this Sunday, you know? Okay, pick them up, take them to lunch, whatever. Meet them at the door, you know? I mean, you know, communicate with them, but reach out with them. Why, why is that? Because most people come to Christ through the church. It's just the way it is. You know, the church is essentially the evangel. It's the, it's the, we're the bride of Christ, which we're also the womb of God. People become born again through the bride of Christ, right? It's kind of the idea. Now, if you can go out there and you can evangelize, you can give the four spiritual laws and you can show people how to come to Christ, hey, all power to you, go do it. 
go do it. But that's not the majority of people. The majority of people don't carry that or don't want to do that. But every single person without excuse can invite. You can invite someone. You say, I'm embarrassed. Well, she was embarrassed. You know, you lay down your pride, you lay down your ego. Greater love is no one than this. And lay it down for their friends. You're gonna feel awkward. You're gonna feel weird about it. Everybody does, you know, because you're acting like, you know, it feels awkward and weird. But the more you do it, it gets less awkward. It gets more, less weird. Like riding a bike, right? It feels awkward and weird. You start riding the bike, you're like, ah, psh, I'm jumping ramps now. Whoo, you know, kicking it out, the whole thing. It's the same thing. So, you know, you're doing something that you're not used to, but just do it, invite them. Come up with your little speeches or whatever it is, but say, hey, I just want to invite you out to church. Usually when I hear somebody telling a story about something that's in their life, I say, hey, can I pray for you? And I don't pray for them later. I pray for them then. I'm like, what do you want prayer for? And they're like, oh, just peace, peace. That's almost always the answer. And I'm like, no, specifically, what can the Lord do for you? You know, and I'll pray for them. And I mean, you know, anyway, I'm not trying to take it more, make it more difficult, but just simply pray for them. And then when I'm done praying for them, say, hey, look, I go to this church down the street. I want to invite you to come out, you know, it, or, or any of the other connecting points. It's that simple. It really is. And this is one of the lessons within this thing is this woman goes and invites the whole town and the whole town changes. And because this woman was exponential, you don't know who, who you're going to reach, but we're all called to do this. Does this make sense to you? You got to cross the chicken line. Jesus gives you wages, he's paying you. He can't incentivize it more, right? The Bible says they that win souls are wise. You're wise, just a thought. It's the only thing you get to take with you into eternity are those you brought with you or those you influenced towards the gospel. You get to take that with you. The rest of it here, we leave behind. The only thing we do for Jesus is what gets to go with us, all right? So five to 10 people, write it down. So I want you to, the last thing. So let's say you got 10 people. You're gonna write down those 10 names. You're gonna put it on your refrigerator. Or if ladies, you like your refrigerator tidy, put it on your bathroom mirror. Put, put, put it in the place where you go the most, right? You're in those spaces a lot. And so when you see that, you wanna reach out and you wanna pray over that, over that list. You wanna ask the Lord to open their hearts and to open the opportunity. That's what you're asking for. Lord, open hearts, open this person's heart and open the opportunity. And you're gonna be shocked at the opportunity that comes. You're gonna be like, because you're gonna feel him. He's gonna tell you now, go through the door, go through the door, invite them. Get some cards, whatever. Get, get whatever you got to do to do it. I don't know what your style is or how you do it. It isn't an issue of style. It's an issue of doing it. A simple, practical way is to believe God for 10 people. Believe God for 10 people. Ask for the open door. Ask for the opportunity. And what happens when you start doing evangelism, it becomes addicting. As soon as you start seeing people, am I right? You start seeing people being influenced for the gospel. All you got to do is get one or two people that start walking into the, in, in, with Jesus. And you're like, wow, you know? And it makes everything else like worth it. So I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. And I want to exhort you to do that. So amen. So thank you for that. If you have, we are going to close with a prayer. If you need a prayer team, we have a prayer team over there. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you're watching us and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you a real brief opportunity to ask him into your heart. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are born separated from the Lord. The scripture says that the wages or the penalty or the reward of that separation is eternal death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so Jesus offers us a choice between an eternal death and an eternal life. And it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The gift of God is, is, is life everlasting through Jesus Christ. And he says, if you'll believe in your heart, not your head, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. So it's through a prayer. We're going to walk through an open door of prayer. We're going to invite Jesus to do what Jesus does. And it's very simple. 
This is not an offer you refuse, people. This is an offer that is presented to you. No one is guaranteed to hear the gospel a second time. We're never guaranteed. We're only guaranteed once. And so that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so let's just pray. Just say, dear Jesus. Come on, pray with me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've got a prayer team available. If you need prayer, come on. Yeah. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. And let me bless you guys one more time. Just let me see this one. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may he be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor. Bless you guys. All right. Have a great week. Come on. Yeah. God loves you.